He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That term, that phrase, kingdom of heaven, is the most frequently used phrase in all of the Gospels. So whether it's kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, and Jesus uses it more than any other, you would think that that needs to be something that we understand of what he's talking about. It's a kingdom that is not bound by geography. Jesus was not proclaiming a political or material kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is life under God's rule. It's whenever and wherever God's rule reigns. It is whenever and wherever God's will is being done as we pray every Sunday. So when we are doing God's will, God's kingdom is breaking in to that place through us. When we echo Jesus' words that come from the Garden of Gethsemane, but not my will, but yours be done, then the kingdom gets a little bit bigger. And in so doing, we are living as God intended for us to live. One would say we are living the good life. Now, there are so many different understandings of what the good life actually is. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes what is the prevailing general assumption of that time that existed. He takes it and he turns it upside down or right side up, however you want to interpret it. He redefines it. And he does so in ways that are surprising, sometimes in ways that are shocking. He does so in a way that reveals God's hopes and desires for the world and for your life. And so let's take this first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That term, poor in spirit, is a tough one. It's confusing. As I was trying to wrap my head around it, the closest I can get is just to think about its opposite. And I was thinking about the word to be pious as the opposite of those who are poor in spirit. Those pastors, those priests that wear the fancy robes and their chins up and their chests out. And they have this holier than thou attitude and just it's kind of like, look at me. And it's not just pastors. It's not just priests. There are super churchy folk, those that come every Sunday morning, that you can, we can fall into that category too. Jesus is saying that the opposite of those that are looking for recognition and looking for attention, the opposite of those who think that they're all that in a bag of chips, they're the ones who can recognize where God is at work. They're the ones who are able to and willing to be able to follow God's directions. And that goes against our assumption of who is closest to God, who is living the godly, upstanding life. It's not the people that we'd first expect. Jesus says sometimes it's just the opposite. It reminds me of the old Simon and Garfunkel song where they say, Blessed are the sat upon, spat upon, and ratted on. They got it right. The people we would least expect. He continue, Jesus continues on, blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Our common assumption is that those that are cool, calm, collected, have composure, have charisma, they're the ones we put on a pedestal. They're the ones that they have it all together. And Jesus says, no. Just blessed are you who are grieving because you've loved well. You're missing someone who you've cared deeply about. Blessed are you who are willing to take risks in relationships. Blessed are you who are willing to form those strong friendships, even if it means having your heart being broken. That's living the right way. And then he continues on. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. To be merciful means that you are looking out for the well-being of others, not just your own. You're extending grace. You're willing to forgive and provide someone second, third, fourth chances. And when you live that way, there's a reciprocal process where then when you need mercy, people will extend it to you. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We think that those who inherit the earth are going to be the rich and the powerful. They're the ones in control, right? Jesus says, think again. So how can the meek and the lowly be the ones that inherit the earth? Well, to be meek means to be teachable, to be moldable, to be willing to be shaped by your teacher. It's not being set in your ways. It's not thinking that you already have all the answers. When you are meek, you are a lifelong learner. No matter your age, no matter your setting, you're able to then continue to grow and to change and to adapt. Jesus says, those are the ones that are living the good life. For the meek will thrive in this ever-changing world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The prevailing understanding of the path to success is to accumulate power and money and prestige. And you do so by any means necessary. You do what you need to do to climb up that ladder of success. One more time. Jesus says, not so fast. Don't pursue what is profitable or popular. Pursue what is right. Do the right thing every single time in every circumstance. When we live that way, we'll begin to see the world in the same light that God sees it. And our life will be blessed. We'll be on the right road. We'll be heading the right path. But guess what? We can expect that as we go down that right road, and we're not doing what's popular or profitable, that people will get upset. People will speak ill of you. They will persecute you because you are doing what is right. You're going to take some people off by living this way. 
You might not get the grade that you deserve. You may not get the promotion that you deserve. In fact, you might get fired. Jesus says that's evidence, that's proof that you're living in a godly fashion. And so this is a truly countercultural, upside-down way of living. But Jesus keeps saying you're living the right way. And so these Beatitudes are a way to upend the shattered and shattered the common assumptions of what we have been thinking for so many years, ways of thinking that have been ingrained into our lives by our society. Taking what is perceived as the good life and saying, no, this is the good life. This is the way to live. So Jesus is seeking to expand our minds, to disrupt our way of thinking, to reshape our priorities, to look at life differently. Here's what I mean. A few weeks ago, we're at Allie's swim meet, and this was a different meet because there must have been like six or eight different schools uh, that were there on that Saturday. And so up where you know the fans are, it was packed. It was really full. And so like every meet, you know, scoreboard doesn't lie. A person that touches first has the fastest time, first, second, third place. And the meet is going on and I'm looking around and I'm watching that, you know, the teammates are cheering for their particular team. You have other people over here, parents that are talking to each other. Uh, You look around and you see people on their phones and stuff like that. And we got into probably a third of the way through the meet and it came to the boys 50 yard freestyle. Now that's a big event. That's a fun event because you've got the biggest, strongest, fastest swimmers that they just sprint and man, do they go fast. You see them just churning through. And so they hit start and they took off and they are just speeding down. And I noticed in the far lane there was all this splashing. Um, There was a swimmer that was really splashing, but he wasn't really moving forward. Um, My initial feeling was one of concern to make sure that he was okay. Uh, I started to look closer, and I was trying to see and find his legs. You know, did he not have any legs? Well, he did. Um, But that churn that you normally see from the kick just wasn't there. And I found out later, I discovered that this swimmer had cerebral palsy. And so most of the other swimmers are finishing up and he's still working his way down that pool. And you started to hear people to cheer for him. And it got louder and louder. And they started to encourage him. They started to shout for him and cheer him on. And it took a while but he touched that first wall and a bigger cheer came up. And I thought to myself, whew, you know, he made it. And well done. Well, this swimmer said, I'm right swimming a 50-yard freestyle. I'm going to swim the 50-yard freestyle. And he starts heading back in the other direction. And the cheers got louder and louder. And... He made it all the way through. 
It was something to behold. The amount of effort, the amount of perseverance, the amount of just, I am not going to quit. I am not going to stop. You know me. I was in tears, but I wasn't the only one. Uh, I look behind Amelia, and there is the swimmer's special ed teacher. And she's got tears all down her face. And she said, wow, I didn't expect that. Nobody did. But that's a moment that I am never going to forget. The scoreboard said lane four was the winner. In some ways, he is. But boy, that swimmer in that far lane, when it comes to someone that maximized their potential, someone that overcame the greatest of obstacles, someone that fought harder and put forth absolute effort, the only one in the whole meet that got us off of our phones, that had us all cheering together as one, that united us, that inspired us. He's a champion. He is truly a champion in every sense of the word. We receive messages in our society. We're bombarded with them on TV, on social media, at your school, at your workplaces, of what the good life entails. And too often we pursue that road, and yet we end up empty and alone and unhappy and anxious and stressed out and lacking purpose, lacking a sense of direction. Something must be off. Something must not be right. Something's missing. Thank goodness for the Beatitudes. Thank goodness for Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Thank goodness that we have what the good life truly is, as Jesus redefines it, as he provides for us an alternative vision A life that is hard. A life that is sometimes unpopular. But a way of life that helps us to rediscover truly the good life. And so these are the first 12 verses of three chapters of the greatest sermon ever preached from Jesus' account. And I want to invite each and every one of you to come along on this journey. Week by week, we can study the Sermon on the Mount together. We can learn from Jesus what the true good life looks like. Not only what it is, but how can we live it out in our everyday lives? Because the kingdom of God, God's reign, God's rule, it begins now and here. It's in the present. And God wants you to experience it. And God wants you to live it out. Amen.